All right, back to podcast and uh, Sunday night podcast. Don't forget, we will be meeting uh, Wednesday night. Uh, really, I missed last Wednesday. I, I kind of just promise it to uh, you all. You guys have been really faithful to Bible study, and um, I thank the Lord for that. Um, I appreciate it, your willingness and your hunger, and just as a just as a gratitude um, for your faithfulness, I try to give you uh, a little a little off time or respite, uh, you know, once or twice a month. Um, but I certainly miss it. I enjoy, I enjoy in-person Bible study. I, I love Sunday morning service. I do, but really my favorite is, is probably Bible study. I just enjoy getting in there, opening the Bible, going to verses, reading them and expounding them. It's just a real joy to me. Um, John and I, I love podcasts. I, I do. I, um, good grief. It suffered much criticism through it blows my mind um uh, you know it, it, it maybe not the podcast in and of itself but the the ministry of podcast um but i believe it's the future and and you know you always will have an assembly you always need to assemble to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but so much the more as you see the day approaching you you Always, it is a sin not to assemble. I'm going to say that. I firmly believe that. However, um, I am a podcast listener. I don't. I don't listen to the radio. I can't tell you a radio station. Uh, I, I, I don't. Uh, I know six ten out of Charlotte, which is a sports radio station. Six eighty out of Atlanta, which the Braves come on. Both of them, I have podcasts. So you know, so. I don't even know radio stations is what I'm saying, but I, I listen to podcasts all day. I don't really watch TV. I watch ball games, but I get my news from podcasts. Um, uh, I, I just enjoy it. It's it's kind of where where society's headed, and so we're always going to do one. You know, whether it's Sunday night, um, the occasional Wednesday night. Uh, what have you, we're always going to do some type of podcast. I, I always will. Um, so, that being said, we're, we're wrapping up John 6 tonight, and then we're going to go into uh, John 7. Now, before we do, uh, let, let me go back and just clarify some of John 6. Of course, the you know resurrection season coming up, crucifixion, resurrection, uh, world will call it Easter. All that's coming up, and uh, Catholics will there will be celebrating in full force. You know the ash and the lint and the Monday and what I don't even know what all this stuff. It's a bunch of uh, it's a bunch of made up. You know, in an attempt to look, let me just say something about all of that. When you see that kind of stuff, it is an attempt to emulate and replicate the law as the nation of Israel, as a Jew. And the Bible is very clear, very clear against those that say they are Jews and are not. And 
that does not just pertain to Jehovah Witnesses. Catholics have adopted uh, Jewish customs as well and tried to quote-unquote Christianize them. And um, it's just not biblical. But anyway, at any rate, this, uh, this teaching on literally eating the body of Christ and consuming the blood of Christ, the cannibalistic doctrine and teaching. Um, he, he talks about this in verse 51. And verse 51, it really is the key of uh, to the whole discourse in John 6. This is a great discourse. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. And Jesus tells us exactly how he was to be the bread of life. He, he says that he is the living son of God. He was going to give his body, which is his flesh, to be killed on the cross in order that all trust in him as Savior, that would be eating of the bread, should have eternal life. And um, so it's basically believe. If you believe, you consume you believe thou hast eaten. And when he said, Whoso eateth my flesh, verse 54, uh, Jesus is using the illustration of food to show the people what it is to take him in as Savior. Uh, food and drink become part of us and they sustain our lives. Okay? When you, you've ever heard the phrase, You are what you eat, you are what you drink. They they become you. They you know if you're eating lots of fruits and vegetables and and protein and meat meat protein you you know you'll grow stronger you'll uh, you you will look healthier fuller you know and then you eat a bunch of junk food chips and cakes and snacks and you you're not going to look good. You drink alcohol. Um, you know, just take away the whole biblical issue of it. Just drinking of alcohol uh, consistently uh, makes you look older. It'll bust the blood vessels all over your face. It'll age you. It'll wrinkle you. It, so you are what you eat. You are what you consume. You are what you drink. That's all that Jesus means when he says, I am the bread of life to consume me. When you consume food and you consume drink, it, it becomes a part of you and it is there to sustain you. It is there to give you life. Simple, simple. Nothing more, nothing less than that. And so Jesus dwelling in us sustains our spiritual lives. So that's that's his basis for this. He teaches this doctrine centered around the feeding of the five thousand. It would be extremely, uh, it would be extremely prevalent and fresh in the people's minds, and so that therein is is the reason that he teaches it within this context. So that's how he closes John six and sixty. Come to verse 60. Now, why is this important? Well, he and notice this is a great Bible message. Preachers, I, I, I've told you time and again, Brother Brian listens and he, he attends. He's a preacher. Um, Jesus gives us the best teaching school known to man. He shows us. So what he does is he commits a miracle. He feeds the 5,000. From there... 
He teaches on being the bread of life. Why? Because uh, bread, food, their bellies being full, etc., would be fresh on their minds when he goes about to teach this. And now he draws in the net. Drawing in the net uh, is basically the result of what the message was, the result of what we taught, what we preached. Uh, today we'd call it probably an invitation. Um, but John 6 and 60, many therefore of his disciples when they heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? This was hard preaching to them. Now, I know hard preaching today is, is different, hard preaching. But anything that gets close to where you live is hard preaching. It just is. I don't believe in mean preaching. I don't believe in uh, even necessarily rough preaching. But we must preach hard. We, we must teach hard things. We must talk about hard things. We must teach and preach uncomfortable things as long as they're in the Bible. If they, if they make up the 66, 66 books of the scriptures, the canon of the scriptures, then we, we must teach hard things. Okay? So his disciples say, people... I remember when I, I first, uh, well, it's it's almost like every church kind of first going. I remember uh, when I preached, just went to a manual, you know, I had people talk about step on my toes. And uh, Franklin Heights, people would say step on my toes. And, you know, I, other churches I preached and, and, and ministered in that didn't say it quite as much, but... Uh, Spent more time in both of those places and, and with you all. Um, and folks talk about stepping on your toes. That's so silly. That's such a silly phrase. Have you ever stopped to think about that, what you're saying? It's a religious phrase. It's a religious saying. People love to, to talk religiously, especially if they've heard somebody else whom they deem religious speak in a certain way. <laughs> but step on my toes. That's not the intent of any God-called preacher. In fact, if I were going to intentionally step, it would not just be on toes. It would be to crush one's whole foot. Okay? Silly. But the intent of a God-called, well-purposed preacher is to teach the Scriptures, to preach the Scriptures, to honor God, to manifest conviction, and to, to help others come to Him and to know more about Him. Simple. That's it. That's it. That's what it's about. If you do that faithfully, and you do that consistently, and you do that um, with integrity to the Scriptures and what they say, if you do that, it will be hard preaching to some people. Some things will be hard to one group of people or one person, and something else might not be too hard to that person. 
But anyway, verse 60, many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, this is in heart saying, who can hear it? In other words, who's going to listen to that? Ain't nobody going to listen to that hard preaching. We don't listen to that anymore. That's went out of style. That's how preachers in my daddy's day preached. That's how preachers in my mama's day preached. They don't preach like that no more. Ain't nobody want to hear that old hellfire and brimstone preach. That's, that's what they're saying. That's exactly what they're saying. Many, and it's not just some. It's not just some. As a matter of fact, if they were to have, had, have held a vote on Jesus this day, he would have lost the vote. If they would have held a vote for Jesus this day, and to be quite frank with you, every other day of his ministry, they would have lost the vote. Preacher, do you believe that a vote and the way a vote goes is the will of God? 1,000% no. I can't. I cannot. I cannot illustrate and I cannot tell you enough how strong of a no that is. The will of God has nothing, that a vote is the will of man, period. End of story. It's a numbers game played by men. If there was a vote this day for Jesus and any other day in Jesus' ministry, he would have lost the vote, except for maybe the day he did feed the 5,000 or the day that he rode in the town on the donkey. Those were about the only two days that he would have won the vote. That's it. And then it probably been close. So what are you saying? I'm saying, uh, you know, people will vote, well, things worked out like they needed to, I guess. Yeah, no, yeah, things worked out like men wanted them to work out. So having said that, the disciples, many of them, say, this is hard. This is hard to listen to. It's hard to hear. I'm not sure how many people is going to hear this and listen to this. And verse 61 says, When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he saith unto them, Doth this offend you? So he's, say, he's getting down to where they live. He's like, okay, why are you murmuring? Why are you saying it's hard? Is it offending you? Now, here's the beauty of this. You remember that proverb I read for you in a message um, a while back? Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Do you remember that? Now, that, that's why Jesus, I'm sorry, I said it was a proverb. It's a Psalm, Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. So, with Psalm 119, 165, Psalm 119, in your mind, great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. With that in mind, Jesus turns to this group that he has just taught the Bible to and said, doth this offend you? About, I don't know, two years ago now or so, approaching two years, 
I literally had someone come to me. First time in my ministry, all these years, said, come to me, won't talk to me after service. Yeah, you know, whatever. It happens Happens a good bit. <laughs> or not, not as much as it used to, thankfully. But it's better than before service. Dear God, don't ever. Whew, man, that's bad. You stay, it stays on your mind then the whole time while you're trying to preach and you want to. Anyway, sure, talk, talk after service. First thing out of the, the guy's mouth was, I took offense to your sermon. I think it was last, the week before. And I really felt like he was expecting an apology. In fact, I know he did, because when all was said and done, every, and it didn't get like his desired effect, um, pretty upset about it. And the fact of the matter is, I will never, nor have I ever, apologized for someone being offended when the Bible is being preached and taught. Period. No way. I will not. I refuse to do so. Because that's apologizing for what God said in his word. As long as I'm being true to the scriptures. And I, and I, I am. So Jesus says, does this offend you? What any if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He said, look, I am trying to help you. Would you look at the overall scheme of things? And that's what people do. They will take one sermon I, I, and I don't mean all this to be about preaching, but that's what that's what the context is. People will take one aspect of a sermon, they will dwell on that, and they will miss the overall context and picture and lesson of what is being said within that sermon. And Jesus is saying, look, these words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The overall scope of what I'm trying to say is to help and to benefit and to bless you. Verse 64, but there are some of you that believe not. There's some around here that don't believe. For Jesus knew the, from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. So Jesus knew from the beginning that, that Judas was a devil. And he said, therefore, I said I unto you that no man can come to me except it were given unto me of my father. Now, with him repeating that verse, that teaches us that is the point of the message that offended them. It really wasn't even the bread teaching. It wasn't the bread of life. It wasn't the thirst of thirsting and, and uh, it wasn't the water of life. It wasn't all. That's not what offended them. Matter of fact, they would want to hear this. Woman at the well wanted to hear, you know, uh, you won't need your water pot no more. These people, these 5,000 wanted to hear somebody can feed us. What was the offensive point of the message to these people? Well, you find out here if you read verse 65. This is, in essence, a paraphrase. Jesus is paraphrasing what he said in verse 44. You remember verse 44? I took, that was basically what a big part of the last lesson was about. 
John 6, 44, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 65, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. So the offensive portion of this message to these disciples was the fact of conviction, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost of God moving and working in the hearts of people, and that being an integral part of walking with Jesus. So the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost of God, was offensive to these people that, that do not know, believe, and appreciate truth. Nothing has changed today. The Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Holy One, the unction of God, the moving of the Spirit, it offends religious people. It doesn't. Spiritual people, people that know God, walk with God, they're saved, they're, they're spiritual. They'll never get offended at, at the Spirit of God. They'll never get offended at the work of the Holy Ghost. They'll never get offended at Spirit-filled preaching, Spirit-filled singing, Spirit-filled walking and living. It's religious people that do. So what offended the disciples that went away and were offended is the fact that Jesus said in John 6, 44, no man cometh to me except my Father which has sent me draw him. What does that boil down to? That goes back to the inability to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and to save yourself. And it takes a wooing, calling, drawing of the Holy Ghost of God for you to be right and in good standing with God. Plain and simple. Because in verse 66, okay, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. It does not say ex-disciples. It does not say former disciples. It does not say used-to-be disciples. It said these were disciples that made a decision, a conscientious decision, to turn back and walk no longer with God. Now, were they saved? Were they genuinely born again? I guess we'll find out in heaven. But he does call them disciples. He does call them disciples. So can a disciple turn one's back on God? A thousand percent. Sure they can. Now, will they endure chastening, chastisement? One thousand percent. They sure will. Because you're one of his. All right. Let's keep on. Uh, verse 67. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? So Jesus turns to the twelve because they don't leave. Judas was one of them. So how about that? Think about that a minute. This teaching did not make Judas turn away. This teaching didn't even offend Judas. That tells me that Judas played the game very astutely. That tells me that Judas was, Amen, preacher. Amen, preacher. That's right, preacher. Judas had a heart problem. I remember a man, still ain't sure he's saved, but he, he said he got saved. And he had been, he was a member of the church, biggest amen I had in a revival meeting, 
said he got saved. And he said that. He said, I was a Judas. And I believed it at the time. Honestly, I, I felt like it was a Judas the entire time. It was a church iPad. This was a manual. And I felt like he was a Judas the entire time. Never said it, but I felt like it. And he run really well. After that, after he said I was a Judas and I got saved, God saved me. Uh, he turned out to be a Judas to me. Yeah. Turned out to be a Judas to me. Now, what was that? Was that a person that possibly was saved and had just major, terrible character problems? Was he a real Judas? Well, nobody knew that it was Judas but Jesus, so we won't know till heaven. In fact, uh, when Jesus began to talk about one of you shall betray me, all nobody said Judas. Every one of them even questioned themselves before they questioned Judas. Is it I? Is it I? Um, be careful about the one that points to the other one and says they ain't saved because none of the disciples said, hey, it, it, it's Judas. Every one of them said, is it me? So anyway, then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Are you going to go away too? And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Now, it's like I preached the other week. Here's, here's the thing I preached the other week. When everybody's quitting, everybody's dropping the ball, everybody's done, everybody's giving it up, everybody's throwing in the towel, everybody's done. Peter's at this place that he's like, you know what? I don't understand it either. I don't get it either. I'm not sure I go along with it either, but I tell you what, this is a whole lot better than anything else I've ever lived for. And I got nowhere else to go. And you know, I've never been able to, I've never identified with that any more than I do at this point in my life, at 50 or 48 years old, almost 49 years old. I don't understand all that God has done, and I don't understand what he's doing, and I probably won't understand what he, what he will do, let alone agree with it. But I can tell you this, at this point, i got nowhere else to go. i got nowhere else to go. I've dedicated my life to him, and I wish I'd have been better, done better, lived better. But I got nowhere else to go. And that's what Peter says. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. What what a what a message, what a chapter. This chapter has taken us three sessions, three sessions. The next one will not take as I don't think will take as long, but they're so in depth that they they do take a while, but that's what podcast is. It's me sitting down with the open Bible going over verses, teaching what it says, talking about what comes to mind and heart and, and us sitting around 
almost imagine yourself sitting around my table and us just sitting here talking about the Bible together. That's that's what I want podcast to be. And I hope you've enjoyed it. Lord, to whom shall we go? Got nowhere else to turn. In Jesus' name we pray. I hope you have a great week. I'll see you Wednesday night at 645.